Turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We're going to begin reading in verse 10. Finally, my brethren. So this we read a couple of weeks ago where some translations say in conclusion, basically to everything he had been writing. And he's writing to Christians here because here's the thing. The people in the world are already overcome. They're already yielding to it. They think many of the things we find as wrong because God said they're wrong, they think are totally fine. Would you agree? You ever watch TV? End of story. So, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And so there is a power available for you to walk this life out. And it goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, in other words, if you've got it on, you're able, to stand against the wiles or the tricks or the cunning of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood or things that are seen, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts in, of wickedness in the heavenly places. Or you could say it like this. What we're dealing with is in the unseen realm. And it goes on to say in verse 13, Therefore, or because of this, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. So what's he saying we need to do? He's saying you need to, I need to, as Christians, take up the whole armor of God. Now it's not natural armor, but it's armor from God and every believer needs to take it up. Now, it's not like, you know, the, the brand Under Armour. You know, that guy's a Christian owner, and, and uh, he has that name Under Armour. It's a sports cloth and stuff like that, you know, and you can go buy that, but that's not what he's talking about. You have to find this. This is really a heart attitude and a mental makeup that you have to put on yourself. So you have to know what it is and pick it out, and then put it on. And really, renewing your mind and beginning to think like these things is what helps you and causes you to put it on. So in verse 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now this is the first piece of armor that he tells the believer to put on, is gird your waist with truth. In other words, the core of your being, right around the middle parts, he said, just fill yourself with the Word of God. Just start getting a diet of the Bible, a general understanding, a personal time in the Word. Gird your loins. Put the word on. Then it goes on to say, after that, stand therefore having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about that last week in great detail. We may pick it up later on. But basically, uh, many people have a misunderstanding about this, and so they, they, they need to get the CD from last week or download it for free online. But we're going to move on. We'll probably come back to that one at time, in, in time because it, it's super needful. Uh, the next thing says this in verse 15. Having, because these, remember, these are things you are to do, and once you've done it, you have it. Right? I, it, let me ask you this. If you put your shirt on this morning, is it still on? 
Okay, just trying to get some stuff real clarified. Some people are like, is this a trick question? No. The only way is you let it come off or you take it off or you've adjusted it. And, and I know this, we're about to talk about this next thing. It says, being shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is it to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace? What is that? Well, if each thing is an attitude, um, I know this, it will have an effect on you, it will have an effect on others. And when it says shod your feet, it literally means just put these shoes on. So these are God's gospel shoes that you are to wear. And really, these are the only thing. Now there's offensive and defensive weapons and different things like that in here. But this is the only traveling piece of equipment. In other words, these are for going. These are for moving. And so when he said, put these shoes on your feet, he said, you shod them with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, we know in other places where it talks about the gospel, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel of Christ. And he directs it to their feet and the going. And who is the gospel for? People who are saved know the good news, or should. That Jesus paid the price for them to have peace with God and to have their sins removed and to become new and to become children of God. But we need to bring that to the world. We need that to bring that to lost people. It's interesting, Jesus made a statement in John, uh, John actually John, but in Matthew, he said about the gates of hell. You remember that? He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We're to wear feet or shod with the gospel or have that, our feet shod. We're to have these gospel shoes on. And then he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We're to have our feet shod. But then he said, the gates of hell will not prevail or overcome the church. Shoes you wear when you go somewhere. When you're done going, don't you take them off when you get home? But when you're out and about, you want your shoes on. Especially depending where you're going. If you know you're going hiking, you might want boots or something. Not necessarily flip-flops. Right? If you're going to work and you're going to be working in construction, boots would be great. Barefoot, not good. Right? Depending where you're going. Boots are nice, but they're not always nice. I mean, if you're going to a business meeting, you put a suit on and then beat up construction boots, those are not good for that setting. Would you agree? Certain shoes are good for different settings, and they make you more effective. Isn't that true? In football, you know, if they don't have AstroTurf or whatever, but if they have uh, fields that are open to the weather, and it starts to snow, or it gets rainy and more muddy, 
they'll change the spikes on the bottom of the cleats so they get better traction or less traction depending on the conditions. So shoes are super important to be effective at what you're doing. Would you agree to that? I mean, you know, if you're going to run a marathon, boots, cowboy boots are awesome, right? No. Certain shoes work for certain things. Let me ask you this. This is more of a lady question. Well, used to be only a lady question, maybe not today. But in wearing high heels, you know, the more high the heel, don't you kind of get conscious of wearing them? Feet get shoved in the toes and you walk around. You, you're walking around and you know your feet are in something. Standing there, you're smiling, but you're, you're conscious of something on your feet. And really what God wants is us to be conscious. This is not, these aren't natural shoes. They're a spiritual attitude that God wants the believer to have. And so here's the thing. I guess we're going to have to ask ourselves this real big question. Have we been wearing these shoes? Because if this is something that God wants us to wear, then we need to put them on. Right? You ever seen kids when you put shoes on them when they're first learning? All of a sudden you look back and you're like, uh, where'd your shoes go? Anybody ever seen a kid? You put them on, they take them off. I like that feel of not the responsibility. I remember uh, going on mission trips different places and uh, going to places where kids don't wear clothes till maybe they're older. They, one, they can't afford them. It's just, why spend the money? They just grow out of them. And so we, we'd give clothes and, you know, different things like that. And I could remember mothers putting on some underpants. That was it for a kid. And you would have thought they took them behind the woodshed and just beat them crazy. They're just crying. And then all of a sudden they're not crying. And you look and they got those things off. You've got to learn to put them on and wear them. And the same thing with shoes, you know. If we don't have these shoes on, we won't be effective in this area. And it is a vital, vital area that we need to be effective in. If the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, remember this. Gates are stationary. They don't move. They swing but, you know, it's not like that cartoon with the guy hiding in the bush, and as you walk, all of a sudden you look back, and the bush keeps getting closer, and you're, walk and you're like, no, bushes are stationary. Gates are stationary. It's not like all of a sudden you're walking, and you're like, well, I thought I made good ground, and those gates are right there. No, the gates of hell are stationary. And there are people that live behind the gates that are held by the God of this world who need Jesus. And so we have to go to the gates and pull them out. So that means there's lost people that have to be reached, and we have to go, but could you imagine not being conscious of somebody in their state, but passing them all day long? 
You know, how many times do people hear stories like that in the news where they'll say, man, we didn't know our neighbor had these people held hostage for, you know, we didn't even know they had kids and their kids were locked in the basement for 18 years. And you think, whoa, or somebody was kidnapped. You hear about that, and they're in that neighborhood. And, you know, he didn't say much, but we just walked by every day. And, and we didn't know, and then, then somebody came running out of there needing help, and we thought, who is this? And they said, they've had me locked up all these years. And people walk by all the time, and there are people trapped in there. Now, I'm not suggesting go around your neighbors and start peeking in their windows. I wonder if we're not talking about naturally trapped people. We're talking about spiritually. There are people in places that are held that need the good news. That's how they get out. The key that opens the door, Jesus said this of the religious people. He said, you have taken away the key of knowledge. Those who are entering in, you have stopped them, and those who would come through, you've forbidden them. And he said, you took away the key of knowledge. Knowledge is the key that helps open the door so that people can come through the gates. In other words, if people don't know about Jesus, then they can get religious and keep living the way they are, but they're still going to be bound by sin. They're still going to be in darkness. So we give them knowledge, which is the key that will open up the gates of hell, and then the gates will not prevail. In other words, they can't win. The people will be able to walk right out. But the key to getting them out is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And there's a big struggle about the gospel of Jesus, and it's a spiritual struggle. Don't think it's natural, it's spiritual. When people say, don't talk about Jesus, you can talk about God, but don't talk about Jesus. Well, if you don't talk about Jesus, then the gates don't open. People don't walk free. People need to know about Jesus. And if we're not telling them at some point, and we've lived a long time without telling people, we're not wearing the gospel shoes. If we're not telling people there are people behind those gates, and that means we don't have the shoes on. When the shoes are on, we will travel there. But here's the thing. It's not a special place. It's the natural places we've always been traveling. But if we don't have the spiritual shoes on, then we spiritually won't travel there. You understand what I mean? Go there in their life. Talk about that subject. Do you know the Lord? You should come to the church because then we could tell you about the Lord, then they can receive Jesus as their Lord. Or you can tell them. And it's interesting because the world does not know for the greater part, and there's such a fight and it's really this spiritual battle saying, don't tell, don't talk about it. And really all they're doing is those words are making people stay locked behind the gates. When simple invitation, simple information could be given about Jesus and then people could come out. But if I'm not wearing the right kinds of shoes, I won't be conscious of where that person stands in front of me. Though I'll pass many people, I won't be conscious of their state if my feet are not shod. I'll just think, that was neat, they're neat, they're nice, they're not nice, they're not neat. Next. But I won't be thinking about their eternal condition and their need of a Savior 
because my feet are not shod. Because remember, these truths are con- a consciousness, a awareness where I become aware of the state of the person that's in front of me. It doesn't mean I have some weird spiritual something, but all of a sudden I recognize, you know, and start thinking, where are they? Where will they end up? You can tell in the world today people have no concept and no idea about this and no fear of death, and there should be a great fear. Not to the believer, but to the world. I mean, there is a, you know, a famous movie star or TV personality who died yesterday, I guess, of like a drug overdose, and they were on, you know, happy days. And, uh, and they're only in their 50s, and they, they believe they died of a drug overdose, had problems. So another movie star, uh, you know, tweeted out, you know, put a thing on, on, on the internet and said, oh, you know, we know you struggled through your life and everything, and you've always sought to have peace, but, but now you've got the peace you want. Does everybody rest in peace? No. But the world says stuff like that because why? Because the further we get away from the gospel, the more confrontational that statement becomes because then I'm saying our lack of responsibility and our lack of telling, meaning as a world, as a church body, the more unsaved people that die, think about what then you're telling them. Oh, these relatives missed it. Well, then the best thing for us to do is do nothing about it but hide. No, we have to be honest. And we need to not argue with them about their relatives or anybody who's died. This is not about them. This is about you. I can't do anything about somebody who's gone, but I can do something about somebody who's in front of me, and I can care for them. And so when he talks about the gospel feet or the gospel shoes and being shod, what is this that we're to have on? What does it look like? What is this message that's supposed to burn inside of us that we are to be conscious of? How many of you know John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only... It's probably the first verse non-believers know because, you know, it's out there. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let's turn to John 3 and let's go back two verses to verse 14. And we're going to look at what this message is, because I'm going to make a statement here, and you need to pay attention. But I'll let you turn there so you can pay attention. And I'm going to make a statement that is very much the truth, but it, it will unravel things for people. John 3, right? Isn't that what I said? Okay, now that you're there, I'm going to make this statement. People do not go to hell because of their sin. You with me? People do not go to hell because of their sin. Since Jesus died and rose again, people do not go to hell because of their sin. Now don't argue with me yet, just hear me out, and then you're going to go, oh, okay. People don't go to hell because of their sins. 
they don't go to hell, heaven because of their lack of sins. But many people in their own minds have thought, I'm good enough to get to heaven. Nobody's good enough. People go to hell because of this. They do not receive Jesus. See, because sin is actually not the problem anymore. Somebody said, oh yes it is, you should see every, my neighbors. You, you come to my house, I'm telling you, that is the problem. No, it's not the problem. Jesus is the answer. Think of this. Has Jesus already paid for all sin? So then is sin the problem? Not if it's paid for. It just means they haven't received the payment for the problem that they are possessing. But if they receive the payment, problem solved. So the problem isn't sin. You need to change your life. You need to change your activities. No, you need the one who will change your heart and your spirit because sin is not the issue. People are not going to go to hell because of their sin. People are going to go there because they didn't receive the solution to their problem. You with me? In getting saved, the Bible doesn't say confess your sins. It says confess Jesus as Lord. Why? Because sin is not the issue. Sin has been taken care of. That's why he said go preach his name. Because if people would know about the name of Jesus, they could call and be saved. And then their sins would be washed away. Because the payment has already been made. In other words, God's not going to do anything about their sin. He's already done something. He's already paid. It's kind of like already at their account. Sitting there. They don't have to talk God into it. They don't have to beg God to do it. God was already in the mind when he sent Jesus. And he did something about it. You with me? John 3. Because now we can read a couple of verses and you'll go, okay, all right. Verse, we'll start in verse 14. And as Moses was lifted, uh, lifted up the serv- uh, serpent in the wilderness. Now what was the serpent in the wilderness? The, the children of Israel had a covenant with God. God delivered them out of Egypt And uh, now they're his people traveling with them. And they started getting bit by these scorpions and these serpents and stuff. And they were having problems, but they were getting bitten by these serpents and they're dropping dead. And it all, the door opened for that stuff because they were complaining. They kept murmuring and complaining and murmuring and complaining. And they got a really bad attitude and the door opened up. And it was the only door they, they opened. They had to close it. They had to quit their murmuring and complaining. And these serpents came in. And uh, they were getting sick and they were dying. So they were like, what are we doing wrong? And it's so cool because God always gives an answer. And so he said, now Moses, here's what you're going to do. Get, get a, a, a pole and uh, make some brass, brazen type serpents. Wrap them around the pole. Stick, them in, stick it in the ground. And uh, put that in front of the people. And if everybody will stare at that, 
In other words, those serpents were hung on a cross like. They were nailed to this wooden thing. It's a picture of Jesus. And if they would stare at it, they would get healed. And so they knew this. So notice this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and you know what's so wild is, when people say, you know, our country really wasn't founded on the gospel and Jesus wasn't a part of it, that's such a lie. It's all over the place. There's just some areas, uh, you know, when, when you see the, the justice pictures, you know, of the courthouses and stuff, and you see the person standing there with the long robe and the scales like this, go read the book of Proverbs. You know, when the Bible talks about having just scales, not, not having unweighted things, they have to be, it has to be right. It has to be fair. That's from the Bible. Well, what about the medical field? You know, on the sides of ambulance, they have a rod with some serpents wrapped around it. It's this. Medicine. Rod with serpents wrapped around it. It's a Bible reference. And, uh, and if people only knew what it meant. Notice this. Just as it was lifted up, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up. That whoever believes in Him or looks to Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Just like they perished, but once they looked and received that payment... They were healed. Just like if people receive Christ, they get their freedom. Notice this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but get and have and obtain everlasting life. Here's where I wanted to get to. For God did not send His Son into the world to, to condemn the world. God didn't send the world, Jesus to the world to condemn Him. And go, you're guilty. To condemn him, he said, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. In other words, they already live in this state of condemnation. The world is already without. They're already in need. They're already condemned. They don't need to be condemned. They don't need to say, you're condemned. They're already condemned. We have the answer. We have Jesus. We have one dead who is on the cross, paid the price, and if you look to him, God won't condemn you. You receive him, and you come out of condemnation or judgment. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name, in the name, that name of Jesus, where there's remission and removal of sins, in the name of the only begotten of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Some people just will prefer to not come over. But that doesn't mean God still won't deal with them and love them and reach them. But how's he going to reach them? Remember I said this, their problem is not the sin. Their problem 
is knowing Jesus. We're going to close with this set of scriptures here in 2 Corinthians, um, at least I think. 2 Corinthians. See how I qualified that? Just in case. Leaves the door open so that you can't prevail against me with your accusations. Of I thought he said. 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to look at some verses here because we need to know what we're to shod our feet with. What message is it? We need to be conscious of the fact, first of all, the need of every man. Well, they're really good. They're really nice. And here's the thing. There are battles you will fight to talk to some people. And it won't be with that person. It'll be totally unseen. Thought will come to you, no, don't do that. They're perfect. Look at them. Yeah, they are. And maybe you'll even know God wants you to deal with, to talk to them and invite and bring them. But remember, this is an area where it's a spiritual battle. You know, there are people that are already hungry that have been praying in their beds at night when everybody else is gone, going, man, God, if you're out there, would you show me who you are? I'm tired of my life. I was like that before I surrendered my life to the Lord in 85. I, I literally, at night, I would go, why was I born? I would get frustrated with my parents because I knew you can't kill yourself. And I'd be like, why did they even have me? Why? I had friends, and I just, but I don't, I, here's the thing. I was feeling something, but I couldn't put my hand on it. Sometimes people are feeling things, they just can't get their hand on it, so to speak. I didn't know God had an eternal destiny for me to preach the gospel, and here I am making good money, uh, you know, doing contracts for commercial buildings and reading blueprints, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, why am I alive? I've got money, I've got this girlfriend, I've got all these things. I just felt like, what is it? I believe what was happening was I was, you know, like the Bible said, you can grope in the darkness, but God's not far from you. He's right there. And I I was just reaching and I could sense there's more to life than what I'm experiencing and I'm reaching and thinking, why in the world am I even alive? It was almost as if I was doing what people wanted to do and what we thought was important, but it was natural, but not doing the spiritual side. And there was something in me I was reaching for. And a guy came and told me, you know, that I worked with. He said, you know, if you died, and then he said, you should come to church. And yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, here we go. But it was actually answering a cry from my heart that I had that I hadn't been telling people. And I even started making some efforts to make some change. Like, I'm going to quit this and stop doing this. And, and it didn't happen. It didn't work. And I remember these, this guy would talk to me, and I would think, well, you know, whatever. But he had the answer. And thank God he had his shoes shod, or his feet shod, 
with this message and he told me. And God was, I'm sure he wasn't the only one who God wanted to use. But he was the only one who was talking about it. But I had gotten to the point where I was needing help inside. I was wanting something. And so this message of the gospel he shared. But I know this, there's people all over the world who live in sin, who put on the game face. Why do movie stars kill themselves? You hear these people that got millions and millions and millions of dollars. They make everybody laugh. They're a comedian and they're sad and depressed internally. And they're not even eating of the apple they're selling. Or the apple they're giving is not fulfilling. And if they're thinking this is what's funny and this is what's cute and this is what's woohoo, ah, and they're the one personally eating of the apple and then they're giving the apple, what do we look for if the world says this is what joy and fulfillment is? Because it's not the apple. It's not the fruit. It's not the thing they need. And so you can go laugh it up at a movie and still leave empty. And so the only answer is the gospel. And it's both feet in. Ours and theirs. You ready to read this? I believe there are people out there like that in all different conditions and conditions I haven't even said. Uh, where did I tell you to turn? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Notice this. For the love of Christ compels us. God's love in us, God's love toward us, drives us. Because we judge or we consider things like this. This is how you're going to have your feet shod. If you consider it like this. If you think everybody's okay, you're not going to be considering it like this. And you're not going to be considering the value of the message that has to be told. Because if I don't judge it like this, then I'm not going to think people are in the condition we're about to read. And I'm going to look at them and think, well, they just need to be taught the Bible, need a good lesson, no, and they need the gospel. Notice verse 14. For the love of Christ compels or drives us on, because we judge thus, or we consider it like this, that if one died for all, then all were dead, or all are dead. If one person died for everybody, then everybody is in this condition until they receive Christ. The only ones are outside of this are the ones who are to have their feet shod. So it's either barefoot or feet shod. And it would be a shame if the world was barefoot and we were barefoot. But notice this. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of a sound mind, it is for you. Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge this. Because people were looking at them. That if one died for all, then all died. Verse 15, and if he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Those who know him should live for him. Here's the thing. 
He did something for us. We need to do something for the world. Therefore, verse 16, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh or natural appearance, even though we have known and regarded Christ according to the flesh and his natural appearance. Yet from now on, we don't know him this way. Then he goes on to talk about Christians being made new inwardly, but then he skips, we'll skip down to verse 18. This is our view of the world. Remember, the world does not go to hell because of their sins. They go because they don't know Jesus. We need to know that people are in need. It's part of the armor. And we have the message. Notice verse 18. It says, now all things are of God. He's talking about the new creation, the man being made new in Christ. Who has reconciled us or brought us to himself through Jesus Christ. And has given to us the ministry of reconciliation or telling people God's paid for their sins. Notice this. That is, or he's going to explain, that God was in Christ reconciling or getting the world back to himself. Jesus paid the price to get the world back to himself. Now we need to tell people the price has been paid. Here's something that's real interesting. Because remember I said, they're not going to hell because of their sins because God's not holding that against them. When they get to heaven, what God will hold against them is, did you receive Jesus? Because there are going to be a lot of people up there who go, I did real good. I, I did a lot of good stuff. I, I fed the hungry. I clothed the naked. I, I fed these people. I, you know, I, I helped my neighbors. And that ain't going to buy it. Because God isn't using your good works or bad works. Those are not your problem. You ready? That is, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling or getting the world back to himself. Notice the next phrase, not imputing or adding up and holding against their trespasses to them. Notice God's not holding their trespasses against them. Why? Why not? Because he's already done something about it. You mean then they're okay? No. It's already paid for. They just have to pick up the winning ticket. I mean, think about it. What if I said, hey, I've got, you know, enough winning million-dollar lottery tickets up here today. They've been scratched. They're confirmed. They're million-dollar winners. They're just up here. You could leave rejoicing. That's so awesome. But did you get one? Is it taken care of? Is there a million dollars there? Yeah, you just get up and you just pick it up and take it and redeem it. It's yours. It's already been taken care of. Sin's already been taken care of. Now you, they have to receive Christ. When they receive Him, they receive the payment. In other words, when they get to heaven, it's not going to be a discussion of what they did right and what they did wrong in the sense of, well, I did three, three of those and they did, they did five. They're, they're worse than me. No, because Jesus is going to say, and he's going to be there, and you're going to see the lamb slain, and everybody is, and they're going to go, he is the payment. All you had to do was receive the payment. And that's really what the message of reconciliation is. God is not condemning the world. He's not holding their sins against them. They just need Jesus. 
Their sins will be left without Jesus, but they're already paid for. And they'll miss heaven if they don't know. So if we're not thinking of the world as though they're lost and that they need an invitation and they need to know Jesus, then our feet are not shod. We're not conscious of the fact of their state like we should be. The dire need of humanity. So notice this. Now then, verse 20, since the message is God's not holding your sins against you, you just need Jesus. He paid for every problem everything you would do. Notice verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, we need to tell people, Christ has made the payment, you just need to receive Him. You receive Him, you'll be returned and reconciled to God. That is a consciousness that every believer should have in this life. Otherwise, what we'll do is we'll think, oh, it's about the presence of God. It's about the power of God. It's about miracles. And those are all good, you know. I mean, it's cool. You know, we were, you know when I said, hey, if there's somebody here that has a right ear, I knew sitting there was somebody in their right ear. I could sense what was happening. And then when she came up here, she said, it's in my right ear. This is happening. I said to her, I said, you know, I was just going to say, when people get done, when we got done, I was going to tell anybody, if, it, if you're here in the name of Jesus, your ear will begin to open. Well, miracles are cool. We hear about people getting healed. There's people in here who have been healed of cancer, and their doctors and confirmed it, and not because they had chemotherapy. Some of them said no, and they were healed. And there's people healed of other things, too, and delivered, and all kinds of things. Those things are wonderful. But that should not be what we're thinking about only. There is a world in need, desperate need. And we have the solution, and Jesus already did something, so we need to think, where are they? And it doesn't have to be some hard thing, it can be an invite or whatever, but I'm telling you this, it is part of the armor and it is part of our life. We need to be conscious of the world. You with me? God doesn't condemn us, but He wants to use us. You with me? Miracles are great. The power of God is great. Shouldn't diminish any of that. The Word of God is wonderful. Praying and having time with God is exceptional. Spending time with others that are believers and fellowshipping is wonderful. All these things are wonderful, but we can't then exclude the gospel message to the lost. Because then we're barefoot. And we're, when we're going, we're not given. You with me? We're more consumers than we are givers. And the blessing is in giving because the Bible said it's more blessed to give than just to receive. 